We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular today, we're looking at the best prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer we pray every week. We haven't prayed it yet in service together because I said we're going to preach the Word, we're going to look at the Scriptures together, and then after the message, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer again together. It's good to, to continually pray the Lord's Prayer throughout history the saints prayed the Lord's Prayer. Um, there, there's different bodies, uh, different parts of the body of Christ that would pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. It was a practice in the, in the early church. It was a practice throughout church history where the Lord's Prayer was something that was um, probably a lot of times recited. So many times it's recited. You know, That's a challenge. Whenever you do something over and over and over again, it's to make sure you're actually praying and that you're not just saying that's a, that can be a difficult thing. And at the same time, it's not wrong to continually pray the same prayer over and over. But the point is we don't do it mindlessly. We don't want to have vain repetition, which was Jesus, Jesus had just been correcting in this passage. He's saying in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. But instead, he says, pray like this. Well, you could turn the Lord's Prayer into empty phrases if you're not actually praying. If you're just I'm used to saying this with my mouth instead of, wait a second, Lord, help me to actually engage my heart. This is something that's very familiar, but it hasn't lost its power. It's the very word of God from Jesus himself. So it's not a bad thing to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's a good thing to pray the Lord's Prayer. There's questions that have been asked about the Lord's Prayer. Is, are we supposed to pray it literally word for word, or is it a pattern that we're to use in our prayer? So is it like a, a subject that's supposed to open up a whole new perspective of this area, and now I can pray that way. Okay, I use the next line to pray this way. The answer I always give is yes, both. Yes, you can pray the Lord's Prayer literally as Jesus quoted it exactly, and yes, you can pray the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. When I say a pattern, I mean, for example, our Father in heaven. You can pray that phrase, and you should pray that phrase as is, but you can also let that be our Father in heaven. Well, you've just used a name for God, you can now take this moment to praise him. You can actually let this open up a whole other area where you're going to glorify him. God, thank you for being my father. Well, then you can just out of your own heart, what is a father? What, what, what speaks to you that way? God, thank you for being my comfort. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for providing for me. You always protect me. You give me everything that I need. You're the best father. You're not like my dad on earth, maybe, or you're not like this person or that person. You're so good. You, so that's how you could use the, the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. And then the next line, hallowed be your name. Holy, set apart. Now you could turn this into a, a whole section where you're going to pr- give praise and thanksgiving and glory and honor. So you've got both options. Both are good. Both things can be done. So we're going to, before we get into the Lord's Prayer, there, we're going to look back in front of it. Jesus is still using prayer He's using uh, giving to the needy. He's using fasting to make the other point. He's saying, don't do things to be seen by others. That was his point. And he's saying, so don't pray in front of everybody else to get credit for them. But some have taken that to the extreme as to say, don't pray in front of anybody else. So we see it this way. When we give, we're not giving to be seen. That's the issue. But we're not afraid to be seen giving. When we pray, we're not praying to be seen, but we're not afraid to be seen praying. So you don't have to get hung up. You don't want to make this thing uh, a penalty box where you go, I don't know if I should pray. I don't know if I should give. Hey, would you still give if no one knew you were giving? Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. Your motive is now revealed and your conscience can be clean. You can proceed. 
It's all right that there might happen to be a spectator. That's not your motive, though. Would you pray right now if there was no one to see you praying? And you would say, well, yeah, I would, I would still pray in this moment. Okay, so you're not doing it for credit and the glory of men. You're doing it for the purpose of the kingdom. This is the heart of what Jesus was after. So as we look at our, our passage, I'm going to read it all to you now. We'll go from, uh, from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, corners that they may be seen by others. That's why they do it. That's their reason. That's their motive. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Seems to say that they're not going to even have their prayer answered. That, that's your reward. Your, your whole motive anyway was not actually to get your prayer answered. Your whole motive was to be seen by others so that they would go, wow, that guy prays. Well, congratulations. You're, you got all that you're going to get out of it. People think that you pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, then why in the world do you need to ask him? He knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need, and he loves you. These are things that we know to be true. So why do I still have to ask him? One minister once said, It seems as though God would do nothing except that we would ask. And it just happens to be true. (laughs) We look at the scripture. Why? Because the Lord actually wants interaction with you. The Lord actually wants to walk with you in the cool of the day again. The Lord actually wants fellowship. He doesn't just want to be a celestial Santa Claus who drops things down from above and go, I saw you had a need, I met it. I saw you had a need, I met it. I saw you had a need, I met it. He's eager to and he wants to. As as the prayer that Jesus gives us reveals, it is the will of God to answer your prayers. It is the will of God to give you. and, And God will be better to you than you will ever be to yourself. That is his will and that is his desire. And yet... You still have to ask. He wants a surrender. He wants a, Daddy, may I have? He wants a trust. He wants a love. He wants an expectation. So let's keep going. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Heavy stuff, good stuff, but exciting stuff. Back to verse 9. Pray like this is what Jesus is saying. How often am I supposed to do this? You can pray this as often as you like. You can pray this daily. There have been seasons in my life where I've prayed the Lord's Prayer every single day. Um, now, right now, I'm probably not doing that. I'd say maybe a couple times a month is all I've been praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Uh, but as I've been studying and preparing for this week, I've been praying again daily the Lord's Prayer and being reminded of the life, the vitality, and the direction also that the Lord's Prayer has given my prayers. The direction and the clarity and the power that I've sensed even through my prayers. So we can continue to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word, but like I said, you can also use it in a grander way where you let it unpack other subject matters for you. The point is, 
This is how you should pray. This is how you should go to your father. You can even turn your worry and your idle thoughts into prayer. I don't have time to pray. You have plenty of time to pray. You exist. You live. You walk. You drive. You think. You have a moment. You don't have to lock yourself into the prayer closet for hours. Jesus wasn't trying to penalize you in prayer and say, if I'm not doing it this way, then I'm not doing it at all. This is a trap I often fell prey to for many years of my life. If I don't pray like this, then I'm really not praying. It almost didn't even count. This is condemnation and lies from the devil. It's absolute nonsense. You can and should pray as an ongoing habit, just like you breathe all the time. But there's also times where you take a deep breath, right? Prayer can be the same way. Pray without ceasing is what the scripture tells us to do. How is it possible to pray without ceasing? Well, it just means I'm always praying. I'm just always talking to the Lord. Anything I face throughout the workday, anything I'm stumped on, whenever I'm, I'm not even sure how to do my job, no matter what I'm looking at, however I'm, I'm leading the coworkers or the team or my children or whatever it may be, Lord, help me. Lord, what should I do in this situation? I'm stumped with my child. I'm stumped with this problem at work. It doesn't matter what it may be. It might be something under the hood. It might be something in a flower bed. It could be something on the computer. Lord, what should I do here? So going to your father is a habit. This is the priority that we want to continue to make regular in our lives. But even our idle thoughts can be turned into prayer. There's a book I've been reading recently uh, called Practicing His Presence. And one of the points he makes in the book is the, uh, the... the book is really an experiment. I won't give you the whole backstory on it, but it's, it's definitely worth a read and worth, a, um, worth your attention. But in the book, the authors are making the argument for just practicing his presence all the time. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Uh, we can build our awareness and we can continually fellowship with him. The Lord's Prayer becomes a powerful way to be able to do that because Jesus shows us how much God really loves us from this very opening line, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Not the faraway celestial one who I dare not approach, but Jesus regularizes throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, that God is Father. The Old Testament reveals God as Father a few times, but you you see many names for God. But in the New Testament, we see Father over and over and over. Father, as opposed to what? As opposed to me being an orphan, as opposed to me not having anybody. You have the best Father to go to. Because of Jesus, we are not orphans. And we are not like we used to be when we were not in the family of God. You're not an orphan begging for mercy when you go to God in prayer. This is what Jesus wants them to see. This is what he wants you to see. Man, how do I twist God's arm to really get what I want out of him this time? Not at all. You don't have to twist his arm. You go to God, your father who loves you, and the answer is already yes. You're not an orphan begging for mercy from a stranger who has to resort to annoyance. This is what the Gentiles would do. This is what the heathens would do. The pag- they would serve their pagan gods. I've got to do this this many times. What are they doing? I've got to earn it. I've got to prove myself to my false god because I don't have a loving god. I don't have a loving father. But the Christian rests because they have a good father who is watching constantly. Your father's not suddenly aware of your need when you become aware of your need. He saw it coming. He was multiple steps ahead of you. He's been days ahead of you. He's been weeks ahead of you. He's been years ahead of you for a long time. He knew this season was coming to your life. This thing that has blown you away and rocked your world, he saw it coming. And he's with you. And he wants to walk you through this valley if that's where you're at. If you're in the highlands and you're looking over and the views are glorious and beautiful, he saw this coming. And he he delights to give it to you. He delights to enjoy it with you. 
When you don't have a loving father, though, one thing that happens, and this is universal, you're insecure. When you don't have a loving father, you're going to be very insecure. This is obviously true with earthly fathers. That's a truth that we can all recognize. And it's true if we don't know the love of our father, God. If you don't know who you are, what we often say is, if you don't know who you are in Christ. Well, I know who I am in Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a difference between being able to get that right on a paper test and having that as a living reality in your heart. The living reality in your heart brings a depth of, oh, what a relief. What a peace that I can actually live with now because I really am secure. I can't do anything to earn more favor. I can't do anything to deserve it. I will never deserve what God has given me so freely and so greatly. He is just that good. But when we're unsure of God's love, when we're unsure of his goodness or his will for us, it shows up in many ways. And one of those ways could be thinking that using more words in prayer is going to move God's heart. But the secure Christian knows that God's heart has already been moved by his own love for us. So we pray in faith instead of praying in hope. We don't pray fingers crossed. I don't really know what this guy's like. I really don't know what he wants, and I don't know what he'll do. You know, he's just other. Well, he's certainly other, but in a holy way, as we'll see in a moment. But he loves you as Father. This is the foundation. Our Father is what Jesus prioritized at the very beginning of the prayer. So only a son of God or a daughter of God can say by faith, Father. And Jesus starts with this important understanding. He's reminding us that we are loved children of a good father. This is the foundation of prayer. You are a loved child by a, loved, by a loving father. You can't get enough of this. You can't hear this enough. This can't sink down deeply enough for you. You think, yeah, I've, I've had revelation on this. Well, there's more because he's better than you think. So we start there and then we continue to move on. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. Hallowed means set apart. It means honorable, pure, and reverenced. This is what we're actually praying. This is what we want in our lives and we want in the whole earth. So that's why we're praying it. We want the whole earth to honor God as he is. So I often reference the fear of God and the grace of God. Sometimes you can have ministry that, or, or Christians in general who focus on one at the expense of the other. And Jesus says, no, they go together. Our Father, holy. Well, he's my daddy. Yes, he is. Holy. Set apart. There's none like him. He's not, he's not your best buddy. You know, my, my, my father, you know, my children aren't my best friends, right? They're safe, they're loved, they're protected, they're provided for. But we're not best buddies in the whole world. Our relationship has, there's a, a way that they should honor their father according to the word of God. And the people of God should honor their father as well. So we love him and we also fear God. Not in the sense that I'm afraid and I have no idea because he's unpredictable, but I honor him with a great reverence. I don't treat him like I treat other things. His name is different. His personality is different. His kingdom is different. So he is to be honored and treated in a very, very different way. I heard a minister giving a, a, a testimony. He was preaching at a, a, a massive crusade in a huge arena. And he was, this is back in the day when they would put all the preachers on stage. It was super awkward. I'm thankful I wasn't ministering during, during those days when, like, the whole, you just got to sit there, like, while the praise team's going or while this guy's preaching, like, can I just be with the rest of the people? But he was sitting on the stage. He said, but he gave him a view. He said, the, the praise and worship happens. 
um, someone else had already preached a little bit. He said the whole time, the, the thousands of people, chit-chat, concession stands, just like he said there was no presence of the Lord. Like the Lord had not joined us. The Lord was not with us. There was no fear of God. There was no reverence. And this was in Brazil. They have a famous soccer player, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, known as Pele. So this, this, this minister, when it's finally his time, he's the big speaker too, by the way. So he takes the stage and he just stands there in silence. Doesn't say a word. And he waits and he stares and he waits and he stares. And finally the place quiets down, huge arena. And everybody's like, this is the guy. And what's he doing? And he proceeds to say, how would you have behaved tonight if Pele had come into this arena? What kind of honor would you have given him? And of course, they're immediately cut to the heart because they know what they would, they would have freaked out. I mean, their attention would have been set on him. And this man of God wasn't looking for honor for himself. He wasn't saying it for him. He was saying, he's like, I watched this team worship the Lord and I watched you continue in conversations. And, and he began to rebuke them. Because they lacked fear of God. Like, who is the Lord that he's so insignificant? He said, what if the president of your nation had come in here tonight? Would you have behaved this way? And of course, no. So he was gentle, but at the same time, he had to tell them the truth. Because the Lord said, the Lord told him, he said, you have to deal with this. He's like, I'm not just going to get in the pole and be like, oh, let me be ignored too. Like, well, first of all, I'm nobody on one hand. So sure, you can ignore me. But out of love for you, let me put this warning let me put this pebble in your shoe so that you don't ever do this again. That you don't treat the Lord casually. Oh, yeah, you know, it just is what it is. Hang on. He's holy. He's hallowed. He's sacred. His name is different. He's set apart. So Christians have many ways that we mark the name of God. One of which, of course, is our life itself is to be a holy and set apart life. Jesus previously in his sermon, he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the standards that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount are literally impossible for a human being to accomplish apart from the Spirit of God making them new and actually empowering them to do it, which was his point as well. You can't do anything except that God would empower you to do it. But we were praying for God's name to be hallowed throughout the earth, that everyone would fear and reverence his name. But that starts in his own house. Do his children honor and reverence their father? Because if his children don't, other children aren't going to either. I just wish people would get right and fear the Lord. Well, saints, do you fear the Lord? Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Well, well, then this is why we should pray this way. This is a helpful corrective for us. God, hallowed be your name. So this is a moment, if you do pray the Lord's Prayer on your own, to, as you should, to pray this moment and say, God, help me to honor your name. What would it look like in my life to honor your name, to set it apart as sacred and holy? What, what, what would that look like? And the Holy Spirit's going to answer you. He's going to say, do this differently. Do that differently. And that's going to be your moment to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That, that would honor you. That would glorify you. That's what you want. And I, I won't predict it for you. I won't tell you because you've got the Holy Spirit. And he's a better teacher than your pastor is. So, but, but expect him to answer that. Lord, what would it look like for me to honor your name? You might be, well, I would have never thought of that. And the Holy Spirit says, I would like that. That would bless me. That would honor me. That would honor the name of your father to do that. You know, I, I didn't see that coming. I would have never thought of that. Uh, some new, maybe some new practice he would have you do. Maybe something he would, he would have you stop. He would say, you know what? That's not who you are. That doesn't honor me. And that doesn't set you apart, my child, as sacred and holy and unique. It doesn't reveal my nature and character to the world. So I want that to change. You say, consider it done, Lord. 
This is what the Christian life looks like. We're praying this, though. We're not just learning from this prayer, and we are, but we're also praying this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what we want, the whole earth. Are, are you living that reverent life? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, pause and ask him for actual revelation to know what to do and ask him for the conviction to obey it. I got to have the what from him and I got to have the, even the desire. Everything's got to come from him. I don't have the want to in myself. My flesh wants what my flesh wants. Why in the world would I crucify my flesh except that I had this other desire that came from this life that the Lord has given? And now this is stronger. I'm feeding the spirit man, so now I can put the flesh under. I say yes to the spirit of God, so I can say no to the flesh, to the world, and to the devil. Let's keep going. In verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is personally one of my favorite parts of the Lord's Prayer. We pray this. This is pastor obvious here for you. We pray this, that the Lord's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, because it's something that hasn't yet happened fully. That has to be true. Is God's will always perfectly accomplished in the earth? No, which is why Jesus said, pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it already is in heaven, is what he's teaching, is what he's explaining, is what he's revealing. This was the point from the beginning, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Adam in the garden, through God's people Israel, through the kings of Israel, through the prophets of Israel, and now through the church of Jesus Christ, He wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't wait to get to the end of Matthew with you. I'm not in a hurry to get there, but I look forward to Matthew 28 where you see, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You, Christian, make disciples of who? Of all nations. What should we teach them? Teach them to obey. What? What if they didn't vote for Jesus? Teach them to obey everything that what? That Jesus commanded. That's what we should be teaching and training the world. Well, I don't want to live in a theocracy. Too bad. There's nowhere else to live. That's the only place to live. You do live in a theocracy. There's nowhere else to live in the universe except under the rule of Christ. So it's just a matter of time. But the sooner that you get there, the more you will flourish, the more you'll be blessed, the more you'll enjoy God's very best for you. But this is what we want to see. This is what we pray. We want the age to come to be experienced to the fullest possible degree now. John Michael, it's not going to be fully, fully realized now. I know that. And yet we're still contending for it. It's not going to be fully realized until it's fully realized. But we're not going to be passive. We're not going to be Christians hiding in a cave going, Jesus, just come back and fix it all. Jesus going, uh, I put a church here on mission. Take over. How might we do that? Make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Carry the message of the king and his kingdom throughout the earth. And pray that. So pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for his will to be done. There are many places every day where you see that the kingdom of God has not fully come. That's a moment for you to pray. That's a moment for you to pray again. Man, this guy makes me sick. Dude, this guy gets on my nerves. Oh, this woman. You know what? Lord, I pray that the kingdom would come in her life, in his life. Lord, make my heart. Help me to see them the way you see them. This is a difficult thing. Over and over and over I see this frustration. Oh, Lord, the way, the way this family is, these next-door neighbors you know, with their children. Oh, God, that's not your kingdom. Please deliver them. Rescue those babies from that difficult situation. Show me how to bring in light and love and health and hope. Show me what it looks like. Whatever, where, where do you see not the kingdom? 
It stands out, doesn't it? I mean, you're, 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 you're sliding through your news feed. Instead of bitterness, instead of anger, instead of, oh, if only they would this, if only they would that. Well, this is another opportunity. God, make your kingdom come. Make your will to be done. That's the moment to pray and ask your Father to move. God, my Father, your name is holy, but I don't, I don't see your will being done here, Lord. That's not how heaven is. That doesn't look like heaven. That's obvious to me. That doesn't look like heaven. That doesn't look like heaven. I see this challenge in this person's life, this sickness, this infirmity, this challenge in my own body, this other thing that's facing this person or this family or this culture. That's not heavenly. That's not what it's like in the eternal kingdom. So God, make your will be done. This is what you're praying. It's powerful. And this is also revealing what does the Lord really want. Look at his goodness revealed. Look at what God is after. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Ask your father for whatever you need for from the day. Make that your regular prayer. Dependence, dependence, dependence. The challenge for you and I is we feel very capable. We feel very responsible. And on one hand, that can serve us well. And on the other hand, it can serve us poorly. My temptation is to err on the side of the arm of flesh. That's my personal temptation. Maybe, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, I, I'm quick to run to the Father. My default, though, my default setting is I can easily defer to, all right, John Michael, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it, John Michael? What are you going to do about it? There's a time and a place where that can serve me well as long as I'm acknowledging that I'm submitted under the Father. But there's other times where that crushes me. It absolutely crushes me because you know what, John Michael? You don't have the answer. You're not enough. You're not going to lift the weight. You can try, but you're going to hurt your back. You're going to break your life. You're going to break your soul if you keep trying to work and lift this way because you're not the hero of the story. You're the child in the house. There's a father. Daddy does the hard stuff. Daddy does the strong things. And he wants to help. He wants you to ask, what is the daily bread that you need? Ask your father for your daily bread. Maybe it's strength that you need. Literally, you're saying, Lord, I just need strength today. Ask him for that daily bread. He will give you the portion that you need. Maybe it's peace that you need. Ask him, Lord, I need peace today. I need peace. Would you please give me peace, Father? If you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you a serpent. If you ask him for fish, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for peace, you know what you can expect. Peace. If you ask him for strength, do you know what you can expect? Well, who could know if it's the Lord's will? You know what your heavenly father is like because you look at Jesus. So you know what his will is. You know what he wants. Maybe you need clarity. He will give it. God, that's the daily bread that I need. Maybe you need customers. That's the daily bread that you need. Maybe it's literally bread or food that you need. We've been there. We've prayed that prayer, haven't we, Natalie? You've prayed that before. Looking in the pantry. Lord, she prayed, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this, but I give it to you. You're either going to have to show me how to cook dinner with that. Because I, I don't see a meal out of that. I see some items, but I don't see the meal there. Or just do something else. That's a prayer that the Lord will answer. But ask. What would have happened if Natalie hadn't have asked? I don't know. But I know what happened because she did ask. Unbeknownst to her, a restaurant owner called me, a friend of ours, and said, I want to bless y'all with dinner tonight. And I said, that sounds great. Me, clueless that we have no food in our home and no money to buy it. And I said, that's great. And she said, so what do y'all want? I said, okay. And I was very conservative with this gift. And I said, oh, we'll just do this and this and this. She goes, 
okay, what do you really want? I was like, no, no, that's it. She's like, I'm not doing that. She's like, you have to really order a, a real dinner. I said, okay. So she made me order like the big specials of the night and I ordered all that and I went to pick it up and she had added a bunch more on top of it. And I had called Natalie. <clears throat> I'm not going to cry. You're going to cry. <laughs> it's just dusty in here. They left the doors open and the... I'm going to have to meet with the deacons about that later. But I had called Natalie, and she was like, baby, I prayed just a, just a little bit ago. Our, we asked for daily bread, and our father gave us a feast. We sat at our kitchen table that night as a testimony to our children, and she tells the story. And we're like crying over our lobster tail and our filet mignon and our dessert. Like, I mean, the feast that had been provided by the Lord through his saints. But what if she had just said, well, I, you know, it could have just been rice and beans. And we've had some rice and beans, too. But she said, Lord, we, we need our daily bread. We don't have it. And the Lord said, I'm so glad you asked. I thought you'd never ask. And now on the table is dumped the, 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 the goodness of God. He prepares a table for us, even in the valley. The Lord will meet your every need. Literally your bread? Yes, literally your bread. And then he'll put lobster tail on it on top of it. You're saying, I'll just take some bread. He's gone. You forgot whose house you're in. You forgot whose child you are. We have way more than bread. Your father is good, and he will meet all of your needs. Get used to asking him for it. What needs have you not been asking for, and you've just been trying to solve it? Let's repent of that right now. God, we just forgive us for our foolishness of saying, we're going to fix this, we've got to solve this, we've got to fix this. Or we just continually come to you in humble submission as children. Give us our daily bread and show us the humility of continuing to come to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's often said, we often, when we pray, we pray the King James Version because that's how a lot of us learned it. Well, forgive us our transgressions, forgive us our sins, forgive us our wrongdoing as we forgive others. Christians should be regularly confessing sin. Regularly confessing sin. The mark of the Christian life is not literal perfection, but the mark, one of the marks of the Christian life is an ongoing life of repentance. So when I miss it, and I will, that I go, oof, that was, that was a step away from the truth and the reality of who the Lord has made me to be. That wasn't the truth. That was the exception. Now the enemy, of course, will jump on board all of your sin, and he'll say, that's the truth of who you are. That's you. It's your other stuff that's the fake. It's the exception, and that's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is that you've been made a new creation in Christ. And when you step outside of that, that's the exception. You say, whoa, 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 that's not, that's not right. And that's not me. It's not. Literally, it's not you anymore. This is why the scripture tells us to put on the new man, as we prayed earlier. So we've said Jesus is the one who washed us. We had to be made new. So we're being washed. But now we come out of that shower, and we have two sets of clothes. We have our old set of clothes, and we have our new set of clothes. You might choose to put on the old set of clothes but you're still a new creation. But you're wearing the wrong clothes, and it's going to feel gross on you. Imagine getting out of a, a nice hot shower and putting on the filthy workday clothes of the sweat and the grind. It's just, ugh. Welcome to the Christian living in sin. Ugh, this ain't right. No, it's not. And it doesn't look right either. And it's weird because you're getting two different smells when you walk past that person. You're like, this is what it's like. Uh, this is what it's like. A backslidden Christian, this is what they're like. You're like, 
It's like a nice shampoo in there, but you are rank at the same time. This is why we are commanded to even hate the clothing that is stained by sinful flesh. It's the wrong. You put on the, you put on the old man. It's not you. Take it off. You don't like my clothes? No, they stink. And I love you. So put on the new man. And, and remind me as well. Hey, Jamichael, that's a little bit of old man. Hey, thank you, brother. You, you know what? You're right. That's old man stuff. Thank you. Praise God for loving me enough to say that to me. What a gift you are. What a protection. What a mercy as you look out for me. Confess your sins. 1 John chapter 1. We read from there earlier, but verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Two things. To forgive us of the sin, okay, it's forgiven, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I fell in the ditch one time. It was a Wednesday night. We were getting ready to go to church as a little boy. We had this board across the back ditch, and me and my brother could walk across it easily all the time. Well, Fluffy, our dog, decided that as I was, you know, I don't know, it was like 10 minutes before service. I'm sure we were waiting on mom to get ready. You know, like that was my whole childhood, just waiting on mom to get ready. Darren's like, yeah, man, I, I know. It's your turn now, Darren. So I'm walking across this board. Fluffy decides that she wants to cross the board at the same moment. And I tumble. And when I say ditch, Ms. Debbie can tell you we had real ditches around there. Not a little trench. I'm talking like huge, really, really massive ditch. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm in it. Water, mud. And I know I'm a dead man, a dead boy. So I come up to the house and dad opens the door. Dad's going to be preaching here and we've got to leave in a few minutes. And they see me and you know what they did? They said, what happened? And I told them what happened. And they cleaned me up. They forgave me. And, and thankfully I didn't get a beating. And it was Fluffy's fault. But, but they forgave me and they cleaned me up. This is what happens when you come to your heavenly father. You're going to be forgiven. Phew, that's a relief. Okay, but I'm still filthy. Okay, and you're cleansed from the unrighteousness. You get washed. You get a clean pair of clothes. Your father always has time for you. Your father always has time for you. He gives you everything that you need. But the Christian should be ongoing confessing sin. And Jesus puts that into this prayer here, that we should always be confessing sin. But then he connects it as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us or our debtors, or our transgressors. So that's been read and translated different ways. Both of them, I think, cut me to the heart. I think they'll cut you to the heart as well. God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. Ooh. Ooh. Well, we know that's the point that he's making, because he goes on to say, if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. So we know he's actually saying, not just forgive me because I forgive others, But it's saying, forgive me in the same way. The measure of forgiveness that I measure out is the measure of forgiveness I want you to use for me. So you can pray that when you pray the Lord's Prayer as well. That will help you. And the Holy Spirit will dive deep with the scalpel to cut anything out that needs to get there. God, I ask today that you would forgive me in the same way that I've forgiven and you list your greatest enemy. Oh, I'm going to love them so quick. My heart is going to get right for that person so quick, praying that way. Why? Well, because it's so out of character for a Christian to not be forgiving. Look at what we've been given. Who are you to withhold 
Who are you? The blessing of God has been poured out. We're supposed to be this funnel, and we stop it up, and we close the valve. And go, uh, uh, good for me, but not for you. And the father goes, that's disgusting. And that's not my children. That's not who you are. Pass on what you have received. Freely you have been given to. Freely give it away. As we forgive others, what does it mean to forgive? To let go, to leave it behind, to dismiss Don't just try to forgive in your own strength. This is where I think I have failed. This is where I think many Christians fail. They think it it all depends on me to go, I forgive you. That's hard work. And I don't think you're really fit for the task. I don't think I am either. So here's what we should do instead. Forgive them and put it under the blood of Jesus. That's That's the only powerful place it can really go. I forgive them and I put it under the blood. That's something that can seal it and eradicate it forever. Not just, I forgive them. I forgive them. I've got high school teachers I can still think about and get ornery about. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. But you do too. You got, you got, some of you got elementary school teachers like, Miss so-and-so. Like, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have room for that in our heart. I don't want any of that affecting my immune system, the immune system of my spirit, or my body for that matter, which is connected by the way. I don't want any of that stuff going on. I'm like, I can start thinking about junior year algebra two, and I'm like, that dude, man. Like, forget the fact that I don't like math. I'm putting that aside. That te- I can make a case against him. Like, do you want to? Do you want to be forgiven in the way that you've forgiven him? No, 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 no. I love him. Bless him, God. Save him. Protect him. He didn't know. He didn't know what he was doing. Come on, John Michael, have you really been sinned against? Tell me about the time somebody crucified you on the cross, John Michael. You, sinless John Michael. Tell me about the time that they drove the spikes through your body, that they mocked you and spit in your face. Go on, tell me all about it, John Michael. It must have been so hard. And you prayed for him, right, John Michael? And you said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's so ridiculous to compare my, what's happened to me, to compare to what's happened to Christ. It's so ridiculous. And, and, some of you have had way worse things happen to you than I've had happen to me. And still, it pales. It still doesn't compare to what Christ has carried. So he doesn't say what they did doesn't matter. That's not what the Lord says. He's not saying it doesn't matter. Forgiveness is not saying it's no big deal. God says, no, it's a huge deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus had to die to cover it. But that's why when we forgive, we've got to put it under the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean there's not consequences for the offender. Sometimes the offender needs to go to prison. Sometimes the offender needs to get the death penalty. All those things are true, but that's not your jurisdiction. That's the state. The Lord has given that authority to the government, to the civil magistrate, to say, okay, the the civil magistrate bears not the sword in vain. So you might say, my heart is free and I dismiss. And yet what the civil magistrate should do, according to the word of God, is punish the righteous. No. That's what they do. That's not what they're supposed to do. What the civil magistrate is supposed to do is punish the wicked and reward the righteous. So you don't have to get confused like, well, wait a second. If I, if I, should, I, should I tell the cops or should I this, that, and the other? No, no, no. You should proceed in all the appropriate channels because the Lord, is, the Lord can deal with your heart while also dealing with theirs. And that might be the very mercy that that person needs, by the way. Mm-hmm. Jail, prison, consequences for people is not always... Uh, a judgment, it can often be a mercy to their lives. The grace of God and the mercy of God to their lives. Coming back to our God is hallowed. Hallowed. He is sacred, holy, and set apart. He has standards. He has expectations. So there is a way. 
he has set forth and determined to deal with things that have happened, good, the bad, the ugly. But in our heart, we free, we dismiss, we release, and we say, I'm at peace, and I put it under the blood of Jesus. Unforgiveness is a really, really, really big deal to God. He goes on to say, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So our Father is kind, He is generous, He is faithful, and full of grace. He gives abundantly to His children, and He expects us to be like Him. So when we pray that as a body each week, we should forgive in that moment if there's any unforgiveness. And as much as you want to pray the Lord's Prayer, that's another moment to say, whew, I didn't realize I had picked that up again. I'm laying it back down again. I put it under the blood. I put it under the blood. And now our last passage, our last portion here in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, at face value, there have been multiple things that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you didn't have the whole of Scripture, you could say, He wants me to cut my hand off. He wants me to gouge my eye out. He doesn't want my left hand to know what my right hand is doing. You could get all stumped on these things. So here you could think, God leads us into temptation? And we have to ask Him not to? No. That's not what's being said here. How do you know? Well, because we take the whole counsel of the Word of God to teach us and to instruct us in what the Word of God means. So in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, the Scripture says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire... When it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, like that tree, brings forth death. So, starts seed form. It's conceived. Conception. We all know what conception is. We'll keep it, we'll just use that word for now. So, conception, eventually it gives birth to sin. And then, fully grown, it actually brings forth death. So what we're praying here is, God, strengthen us in times of temptation. That's what we're praying for. You don't have to be confused. Wait, God's going to tempt me and i got to ask him not to? No, the Lord's not going to tempt you. He, will, he, will, he is not tempted by evil, and he will not tempt anyone to do evil. But we are praying that he would lead us away from it. That's what we're praying for. God, keep me away from evil. Keep me away from temptation today. Even guard me. I know you've provided. And anything I'm tempted in, I know there's always a, a way of an escape. Any temptation John Michael has ever faced, I didn't have to take it. Anytime, anytime I've ever sinned, there was a way of escape. There was a door in that room that I just didn't want to look for. I didn't want to know. It was behind me, and I was like, no, there's no way out. I'm trapped. No, your own desire put you exactly where you wanted to be. The Lord said, hey, hey, back right over here. I'm like, no, no, there's no say. It's too late. I'm stuck. No, your desire, your desire took you exactly where you wanted to be. But pray. Pray that you would be strengthened. This is the prayer. This isn't just instruction. It's actual prayer. God, deliver us from temptation. Give us strength. Give us strength. Temptation hits us in many ways. Doesn't it, saints? I mean, there's a million. We can't even think of them all. We can't recognize them all. There are many ways this comes from us. God, strengthen us from temptation and deliver us from evil. And he will because your Father will help you. God does not tempt us to sin. Jesus is teaching us to pray for strength from God, who is our salvation and our tower. Run to the Father when you're in temptation. Run to the Father before you face temptation. He has and he will deliver you from all evil. 
Amen. Look at this. I mean, look at the Lord's prayer. Look at all that the Lord wants to accomplish. It's so good. My Father, you're holy. Bring your whole kingdom here. Give me what I need. Forgive me of my sins. I'll be forgiving to others also. Protect me from my sin. This is the blessed life. We're going to continue to study and go through Matthew. This is the blessed life. This is what human flourishing looks like when we walk in obedience to this. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together now. Would you stand with me? God, we pray now as King Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.